My fifth grade daughter was recently working on a Genius Hour project. She was really excited to explore the ideas around nature versus nurture. Now this was around the exact same time that ChatGPT got its public release and various social media channels that I engage with um, were really actively sharing this transformational technology. So of course I had to take her general prompt and drop it into ChatGPT and see what the output would be. Now of course we had been exploring the internet and reading journal articles and listening to NPR podcasts around nature versus nurture, but it was really challenging to you know, help a fifth grader wrap their head around some of the complexity of these ideas. So we dropped the prompt into ChatGPT. I remember this was a number of weeks ago. Explain the general idea of nature versus nurture in 500 words or less. And it spit out a really succinct explanation um, explaining the whole argument around this concept. Now, of course, there were no links and there were no citations, but the output was really confident, really convincing, and really clearly written. So this is really exciting. And I was kind of blown away because this is my first interaction with this tool. And of course, I started to explore further, um, write a dialogue between two uh, people explaining the two arguing or two competing perspectives around nature versus nurture, write a poem about nature versus nurture, uh, write an essay in X number of words around nature versus nurture, even something like um, explain nature versus nurture to an elementary age student. So I just kept modifying the prompts as much as I could. And I just kept thinking, my goodness, this is going to have some transformative impact on the experience of educators, teachers, um, students, really all industries. But my background being in education, I just thought this is like, we simply can't turn our heads to this technology. And that was began, And that is when I began to really explore and developed a, a philosophy and a perspective and, and a lens to really begin to understand how we might approach and how we might leverage AI technologies and not just text output, but media output as well in education. So welcome back to Education Considered. And in this episode, we're going to explore the idea of artificial intelligence and in education. Technology, innovation, education, assessment, creativity, and a rapidly changing world. After nearly two decades in education as a history teacher, consultant, and director of technology, I keep returning to one question. What might a classroom look like at the intersection of the intentional and thoughtful use of technology and high quality teaching and learning? This is the question I'll attempt to answer with concise weekly episodes designed to give my listeners a slightly new way of thinking about education and what it might look like when we carefully explore new ideas to shift our thinking. I'm your host, Craig Kulowick, and this is Education Considered. Education Considered. Education Considered. Education Considered. I come at this topic from a number of different perspectives. As a parent, like I just shared, I'm excited about the potential for my own children to use AI tools, to be more productive, to be more creative, to eliminate barriers to all sorts of tasks they might engage with that simply don't have to exist anymore. As a history teacher of nearly a decade, I think about some of the tasks that I used to have my students engage with and how AI tools, whether it's text generating tools, chatbots, um, tools that will create images for students, audio, video, how that would really fundamentally force me to reconsider um, the way that I structure the tasks, what the output is, and then even more importantly, 
how I'm going to assess student understanding if the product can be generated in a way that could simply never be generated before. As an educational technology professional learning provider, I think about how it's my obligation to expose educators to these tools and resources that they otherwise might not be aware of. I think generally at this point, kind of really early 2023, first quarter 2023, I think education as a whole really understands um, AI and education purely as text output. Drop the prompt into a chatbot and chat GPT or any other tool that's emerging um, and you get the text output that you want. But I think what's potentially even more impactful are the, the media creation outlets or the tools that are going to simply remove barriers for students to create images, to create audio, to create video. And that's really also going to have a significant impact on the student experience. And then finally, we're kind of like rounding out this perspective as a current director of technology. I think about some of the requests, reasonable requests that I'm getting from educators to block these AI tools on a school network. And I know that um, other school leaders, administrators, tech directors are dealing with the same issue. And, and there's another really unique perspective there. And there's a kind of a nuanced understanding of what happens if we go down the path of blocking versus if we go down the path of completely wide open access. So with that, there's a number of key ideas that I want to get into in this episode to give you kind of um, a, a way to think about AI from all of those different lenses. So lens number one is as a parent of what are now elementary age students. And I think about the potential struggle that students might go through when they're engaged with something like a genius hour project where they have a general sense of the topic they're interested in and they really want to start to develop a broader understanding. But searching the web is challenging. So in the example that I gave earlier of simply dropping a prompt of explain the difference between nature versus nurture. If we think about the student experience of dropping that sort of question into a traditional search tool, a Google-like search tool, and then having to sift through links, having to sift through the validity of links, which is a relevant skill, or I might even say was a relevant skill, the, the time and energy and maybe the unnecessary burden that's put on the learner to have to click through multiple pages and sort through ads. I mean, I remember when schools kind of initiated this one-to-one -one programming and the implied change it was going to bring and the importance of search that was emphasized how all students must know how to search effectively and analyze websites, it's not that that skill is not important, but it's significantly less relevant. And if we drop in a question or if we dropped in a prompt and the output that we're getting is really targeted specifically to the learner. So that quick summary, that under 500 or under 300 word summary, it really can be a launch pad for students to go, oh, that's what nature versus nurture is. Then we can use that prompt to maybe now target our search a little more effectively or find the podcast episode. Now we know exactly what we're looking for and not just simply searching the web and crawling through websites and clicking through links which you could argue is just an unnecessary uh, use of time and unnecessary burden. And now we can even just make the process more efficient, more effective, and allow for student joy, student inquiry, because they can get to the information so much more quickly now. That's not the only way to think about 
uh, how AI might impact our learners. Like I'm aware that as we might escalate up to middle school and high school, students, unfortunately and understandably, may use these tools to simply output answers. And we would hope that as opposed to kind of limiting student access, we open up student access. So as a parent, I think I want to give my students, my own children, access to these tools, even for the ideas around creating images. So if we're using something like Mid Journey or Night Cafe or Dolly 2, which are all um, AI text to image generators, if they have a vision in their head for a visual story that they want to tell, and now they simply don't have the barrier of having to have that artistic skill to represent that vision visually, to then maybe write a poem around that image or tell a story related to that image in a storybook that they might be creating or a presentation that they might be giving, understanding how to write the prompts, how to manipulate these tools is a really critical skill. And that's one that I want my own children and my own students to be exposed to. If we continue down this thread, let's look at this, this idea of AI and education from another perspective, from the perspective of the educator. So like I said earlier, I spent nearly a decade as a history teacher, a high school history teacher. And I think about this maybe as a teacher early on in their career, I would spend countless hours kind of planning and mapping out units. And oftentimes, um, you know, maybe I didn't have access to a fully mapped out curriculum or it was a, a new course that I was teaching and it would just be lots of time and energy either scouring the web, looking for resources that, resources that other educators had built or simply building from scratch on my own. Even a simple text output tool like ChatGPT when you can ask it to write an eight-part unit or an eight-part lesson or a one-day lesson around a particular concept, you can put standards, key vocabulary that you would like it to use, constraints around what it will cover and what it won't cover, um, that you'd like to embrace collaboration in the student experience, and it will output a one-page, two-page, however long you ask it to generate it, however detailed you ask it to get, it will output that lesson overview. Now, it's interesting if you look at this sort of thing, at least now, early 2023, oftentimes there's an assumption that resources are already available to teachers, or it'll say, engage in an activity with students, and it doesn't really map out the step-by-step -step experience. But I think the value here is the big picture planning and that burden that could be lifted off of the teacher. And that's kind of an idea that I'm coming to again and again, whether students or children are using these tools or professional educators, it removes burden and removes barrier. It removes unnecessary time that an educator might spend planning these sorts of things because now that general overview can be generated. And now the educator can remove that burden from their thinking and then focus on, okay, what do I want the collaborative activity to look like? Or what primary source might I have them analyze? Because I can already see kind of a mapped out plan of, oh yeah, don't forget to use a primary source or don't forget to include this concept um, in the unit or, or generate a really interesting creative prompt to start out the unit because the planning is already mapped out. Now that's one way to think about this as an educator. The other way I think about this is kind of that really efficient just-in-time feedback and the the nature of the feedback. My, now I know this perspective might be a little bit kind of controversial. I'll put a link to an interesting article in the, the show notes but it's the idea of having just good enough feedback. Now, what I mean by that is 
you know, we get students to engage with writing prompts and they, or they engage with, a, you know, a, maybe a longer form essay that they write in our class. And it's really challenging to provide feedback quickly and efficiently. However, when we provide that feedback, that's critical to students improving their writing, improving their thinking. So I started to think immediately, like how might AI tools aid educators in providing really quick, not perfect, but just good enough feedback on student work so students can see that feedback and not immediately, but likely in a much quicker turnaround time than what we can provide now. It lessens the burden on the educator to, again, maybe plan more engaging, more collaborative, more exciting units, or it allows the educator to just purely have more energy to engage on, engage with small coaching, small group, small student interaction, where our energy is focused on the human interaction and maybe not the, the burden of providing that feedback. Now, I'm not implying or suggesting at all that we walk away from providing feedback on student work, you know, from the generated purely from the human. And this might be a little bit early on in terms of tools that are, uh, you know, universally accessible to K to 12 educators. But I think it's not far off where educators will be able to drop examples of student prompts into AI tools, also drop examples of the type of feedback that you would traditionally provide, and then you'll be able to customize and train the AI tool to be able to provide feedback the way that you traditionally would on student work. And then imagine we have the ability to drop that student work into these AI tools, provide exceptionally timely feedback, and now we get to focus on the creativity in writing, the student voice that can come out of writing, the unique lens that a student might have, and really foster that as opposed to spending our time with maybe the mechanics or the structure that, were, that would be too much of a burden, maybe not too much, but an excessive burden on educators to constantly provide that type of feedback. So there's two educator perspectives, and I want to provide one more as well. Now, it might not be right in this moment or easily accessible or readily accessible, but I'll take my lens as a history teacher. What we're going to be able to do is create customized chatbots around our topic, our concept, the author we're exploring, the topic that we're exploring. So my lens might be, for example, if I'm having my students explore the work of Hobbes, Locke, and Rousseau as we're getting into the Enlightenment, for example. What we're going to be able to do, whether they're generated by the individual teacher or they're maybe provided by educational outlets, we're going to be able to take the works of those authors, those public domain works, drop them into AI chat tools and basically create a Thomas Hobbes chatbot or a John Locke chatbot where we can ask it the questions we want to ask it, provide the prompts. What would Hobbes say about fill in the blank? What would Locke's perspective be on fill in the blank? And it will answer as if it is Hobbes or Locke or Rousseau or anyone. I imagine dropping the works of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr and creating a Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. chat tool where the responses are being taught off of his work and it would respond in the way that he would respond to the best of the AI tool can do this. Now, this is possible now. This is February 2023. 
this is possible, but I think the technical steps and the burden might be a bit much at scale for educators. But if we keep that lens in mind as well, you can almost think about AI becoming your own personal assistant. This doesn't mean it removes you from the equation of educating. It might shift your role a little bit. You don't necessarily have to be the expert. And I think about this, there are many units, and I would hope that maybe educators will be comfortable admitting this. There's many units and topics that you are new to, that you're not the expert in, that you might be staying just ahead of your students, especially at the high school level. But imagine the ability to create these expert customized assistants that can help guide students along the way. Again, while it frees you up for human interaction and maybe not the burden of doing all of the kind of information holding at the front of the classroom. So there's a few ways to think about this from the kind of educator perspective. What I want to shift to next as well, it's kind of thinking about it from a professional learning side of things. I spent over a decade in educational technology and providing professional learning, and I really want to explore it a little bit from that lens. So from this perspective of kind of educational technology, what, what is the impact going to be on the classroom? Like really big picture thinking. I think back in many ways, and I mentioned this earlier, when schools went one-to-one. -one. Now, when schools started to adopt one-to-one -one technologies, I remember starting earlier over a decade ago with iPads and laptops before that, and then kind of the ubiquity of Chromebooks. And when the price point came down and students kind of had increased access and schools could really create sustainable one-to-one -one programs, there was an implied change. Now, unfortunately, maybe that change wasn't articulated. I know even some schools went one-to-one, -one, kind of emergency one-to-one -one because of the pandemic and just the need to put devices in student hands when they really hadn't had time to plan that out or map out what that was going to look like. But there is an implied change when you put the device in the student's hand. And that early on implied change, pre-AI, this kind of it's going to be a, a real turning point this late 2022, early 2023, when these tools became readily available. The pre-shift was on search, and it was kind of access to information. So as soon as we drop these devices in student hands, it really implied that no longer must the teacher be the sole source of all information, and there's not a limited access. There's not... Um, kind of a shortage or controlled access to information. If we think pre-one-to-one, -one, it was what resources could the educator provide? What information did the educator have? And then that had to start to shift to, geez, if we have access to the entirety of human knowledge that's put on the internet and we're putting that in front of our students, how do we leverage that? And then search became really critical. How can we teach students how to search effectively, to sort through the information they're providing? to evaluate the resources that, we're that they can now have access to. And I think now with AI tools, that becomes even kind of one step further. And like I said earlier, search is not irrelevant. Search is maybe less important now because AI tools are not only available to get the output and the answers, but they're increasingly being uh, kind of embedded or kind of coded into search tools. So again, I think the time frame is providing context to what we're talking about. You know, early February 2023, and we're already seeing how ChatGPT is embedded in Bing and Microsoft is dropping millions of dollars into exploring that. And then even just the other day, 
Google announced their kind of like AI personal assistant search slash chat. And again, I'll put links to these in the show notes. So search is even shifting where if, if we think about the mechanics of it and the experience, a student drops in a prompt, they get a number of sites, they have to click through the sites, evaluate the sites, be inundated with um, sites that are pumping CEO to get pushed higher or SEO to get pushed higher in the search results. And are those valuable? Should they even be clicking through? And then we get to the idea of filtering where in school, certain sites might be filtered out, but then if they're searching at home, those sites are available. And it become this really kind of like clunky process where now if we're going to embed AI tools into search and search becomes AI generated or AI pushed, like that could impact the, the sites that are popping up. But the reality is the output is going to be like they're conversing, not with a human, but with that personalized return. So whereas we had to teach students how to evaluate the, the output, we had to teach them how to evaluate what are the links. What are the advertisements on the links? What is the bias provided in there? Now we have to do that and kind of move back a step and teach them even more critically how to write the prompts to manipulate the AI tools. So all AI outputs are not the same and they're purely driven by the quality of the prompt that's provided. So I've already seen schools and educators and kind of really forward thinking educational leaders that are kind of uh, pushing this conversation and that manipulating the prompt, understanding how to manipulate the AI tool is a new critical skill. So whether we're using the critical skill of having text generative outputs and understanding how prompts are so crucial to having a quality output, or like I mentioned earlier, how we can manipulate our out, our input into um, image generating tools to get the kind of image that we're looking for. Or what we haven't even gotten into yet, which I'll mention in a bit, is the audio generating tools and video generating tools and how critical that is. So from an educational technologist perspective, it's really shifting that big picture thinking around what is the new wave of implied change that we have. Now, additionally, you know, technology has always given students opportunities to do and create new things and express themselves in new ways. And this is even maybe more impactful now. So if we think about asking students to generate creative output, whether they're creating images or a podcast episode or a video, I remember the first AI in education kind of talk that I gave in a, at, a, at a conference setting. And the perspective back then was, this was like, I think 2017, the perspective back then was that, hey, creative output is still safe. So while there may be AI tools that are going to generate text, hey, don't worry, because I can't generate images. The podcast episode is safe. Um, the video creation is safe. We can still use that as the thing we can lean back on. And that might even push educators more towards considering those sorts of things. But that is simply not the case anymore. If a student is writing a poem and we ask them to generate an image to kind of help us provide a visual understanding of their poem, they are no longer locked into generating that image by hand, offline, analog with crayons and markers and pencils and paint, or even with a digital tool, things like Canva and Adobe Express. They're not even limited to those anymore. 
They can use things like Dolly 2 or Night Cafe or Mid Journey. We can go on and on, Stable Diffusion, to be able to create these images. But now the skill is being able to generate the prompt. And if they can generate the prompt, then they're going to be able to create the output that they want. Now, again, it doesn't mean that we walk away from the offline creation. That's not at all what I'm implying. But what I think it's important to consider is the barriers that we're putting in front of students to be able to get to the end goal. So if we think about that model of the poem writing, for example, we go, hey, write the poem and generate the image to kind of help us understand your lens for the poem. Or I think about when I used to have my students create storybooks about the revolution um, that we're studying, like a, a children's storybook about the French Revolution, and they would create the art. Now, I think that the critical thing here to consider is what are we actually assessing students on? If I'm assessing them on the art that they are creating, then it might be reasonable to have students by hand generate the art. If I'm assessing them on just the poem writing or I'm assessing them of the creative kind of um, expression of the children's storybook that they're making, and I just, I want them to have visuals to go along with it, but I'm not assessing the quality or the nature of the visuals, then it's totally reasonable, completely reasonable if it's passing this test to allow students to use these AI image generating tools to create the image because I'm not assessing that skill and ability. That's not in my core standards. That's not in the skills and abilities that I'm, that I'm kind of placing value on and assessing. So why would we make students go through or create that artificial barrier for them to generate the image when it doesn't, when it simply doesn't have to be there. And again, this points to the fact that when they leave our classrooms, these tools are not going away. They're not going to be blocked. I mentioned in a uh, AI kind of Kickstarter workshop that I ran recently for a group of educators in the mid Atlantic States that um, in many ways, like I had a Commodore 64 growing up. I played Maniac Mansion on my Commodore 64. It was fun to play, but it, it was maybe like the, the lowest level of gaming that I ever engaged with. And if we think about that in terms of the current AI tools, the AI tools we have now are the Commodore 64 of the AI tools that our own students are going to engage with. So why would we possibly want to limit their access to them? when they're gonna absolutely play a role in their everyday life and their professional lives moving forward. And it's, it's really leaning back on this idea of artificial barriers that we're, that we're putting in the way for student expression and student creativity and thinking about what is it that we are assessing. If we're assessing the creation of the art, then yes, have them you know build on their own. But if we're assessing something else and the image is a component of that, then why limit their ability to access that? And I got, there was a really interesting question posed um, in a, a webinar I was running around AI and EDU, and it was around students going through this kind of productive struggle. And I'm not implying at all that we remove all productive struggle. That's not what I'm saying. It's thinking critically and being open to the idea of when will these tools benefit my learner? And when should I kind of embed that into the experience? So I even talked about the idea of what we might traditionally consider it as like non-traditional creative outlets, audio creation, video creation. And I think there's maybe even a lack of understanding about how those tools already, those AI tools already exist. 
So imagine, for example, a student can go to ChatGPT, have the text generative output create uh, maybe a monologue of a historical figure or a character, whoever, whatever they might want it to be, um, doing a single person uh, podcast episode script where that person talks about fill in the blank concept. We can take that text, drop it into audio generative AI tools, and it will generate the MP3 file of any voice that we want that has kind of been pre-taught or pre-loaded into that audio creation tool. Now the output is not perfect right now. There's kind of like weird intonation, weird cadence, a really odd gait with some of the voice, but you can manipulate it. And again, like I said, this is the Commodore 64 of audio export from AI tools. It, it, what's really fascinating is the kind of choice in audio output. So I'm a huge fan of like the golden era, late 90s, early 90s hip hop. And I could drop text in and say, output it in the voice of Nas or output it in the voice of any other rap artist that's been put into these AI tools. Now, what's also more fascinating is there already are and there will be um, kind of quickly emerging AI tools that allow you to train the AI tool with your own voice. So what do we mean by that? I can read text and have the AI tool hear my voice for anywhere from 90 seconds to three minutes, depending on the tool. And at this point, there's tools that exist around the 90 second mark. And I can basically train it to have text output based on how I sound. So I don't even have to move in forward as a student, as an educator, I don't have to sit down at my phone, at my microphone, at my desk and record my voice. I can drop the text into these tools and have the audio output. So this might be alarming. This might be surprising. This might be like an aha moment. I think about it from the teacher perspective. Oh my gosh, I have the ability now to take text that I have drop it into an audio output AI audio generator and create a little mini podcast episode of me teaching a concept. And now I can provide multiple versions of that and provide it on demand to my students in my voice. And I can duplicate myself in the classroom. I can have listening stations where they might be able to hear me in the classroom or outside of the classroom. I used to record 45, 50 hour long um, kind of like lectures or podcast episodes around different units, the Russian Revolution, World War One, World War Two, that my students would listen to outside of class. And there was an excessive burden on that, the time dedicated for me to create that. But now I have these tools at my fingertips. So it's a really interesting way to think about creative output. But it's going to force us also to think about just because we have students creating the media, it doesn't mean that AI wasn't the creation mechanism to get there. Same thing with video. We can drop audio or text into video generative tools and the AI can create the video output, the MP4 file from AI avatars that are already kind of baked into these video tools. Or imagine a student mashing all of these together. Chat GPT creates the text. Midjourney creates the image for the student. And then they drop that into something you know, like a video AI creation tool. And I'll link to these in the show notes. And now the final MP3 out, MP4 output is the video file that they've generated strictly with AI from beginning to end. So while I, I mentioned earlier that that kind of 2017 lens of like creative output is safe, 
creative output isn't safe and we have to think about how we're going to adapt, redesign and shift the assessment, the output and student experience. Again, not to block these things in all instances, but to teach students how to manipulate them and leverage them. And I think that's the big thing is it's not a binary um, kind of choice we have to make. It doesn't have to be block and uh, kind of lock down. It can be scenarios where we can have students leverage it. We can have students take advantage of it. And then we can also have them engage in this creative output on their own and say, you know, we're while we're aware of these AI tools, this is going to be generated purely from your thought, your original writing, your original voice recorded into an audio recorder, and then you're going to learn how to edit this. So again, a more nuanced perspective and maybe avoiding the, the uh, universal kind of like block or unblock perspective. And now the last lens that I want to look at AI and EDU is from the, a director of technology perspective. Um, directors of technology have a tremendous impact, a significant impact on the student experience across their district. They hold the keys in many ways to what's blocked and filtered, what students have access to. And that's often driven by um, decisions around school committee members or educators or uh, building level administrators. But in some ways, they have this ultimate say, and oftentimes there's filters and policies put on place on school networks that would simply blanket block these tools up front um, because of the sorts of filters that are already in place. And I understand the need and the desire to block these tools. I, I can, I can ex really understand it. I was working with an English department that was worried about the rapid emergence of ChatGPT what are we going to do um, right now, tomorrow, or this week, because there are midterms exams coming up and we have our students write them on their Chromebook and we, we're, we simply don't have the time to adjust our assessment because of the exceptionally rapid emergence of these tools and how they're gonna impact our classroom. And I completely understand that. I think even in that extreme situation, it's still not valuable to block these tools on a school network and I'll give two reasons why. One is that there are other tools available, reasonable tools in place that allow educators to control the experience in their classroom and have individual ownership over that experience at the classroom level. In my kind of setting in the district that I um, work in, students have, or excuse me, educators have access to ClassWise. Other districts use things like GoGuardian. There's lots of tools available to educators like this. And I know that these aren't universally accessible. There's a, a cost associated with them that a district would have to incur. But tools like this allow educators to manage the access to tools and resources and technology purely at the classroom level. So that was the approach that I took was, let's think about not how um, a tech director or a superintendent or a building principal would have to make blanket decisions across an entire building, district, team, or grade level of, you know, AI tools are simply not available when we can empower the teacher to manage their classroom, have time to think about redesigning and shifting their lessons, um, maybe uh, in a professional learning setting or with their colleagues. So what does something like ClassWise or GoGuardian allow you to do? Simply lock students into 
Google Drive and the Google Doc where they're doing their writing and maybe a website or two. And it even allows you to create kind of classroom period long specific tools like don't allow chat GPT or the other 10 tools that emerged that that night um, in my classroom. Now, thinking about from my perspective, I'm clearly making the argument of like open access, but I also understand uh, teachers have to be able to practically and reasonably run their class. It's really challenging to shift curriculum, shift assessment and shift student experience overnight. And this kind of buys educators some air cover. It buys them some time to go, okay, I can still manage my environment for now. Um, I'm not going to take the lens of completely shutting down and blocking universally. And it's going to kind of give me time to really understand what's happening with AI and education it maybe start to shift my practice and student assessment and student experience. Now, additionally, on top of that, I think about it also from like an equity lens and an access lens. If I were to take the perspective of lock across an entire school network, I'm instantly implying whether I'm aware of it or all students aware of it or the community or educational leaders. But what I'm implying is that I want to create lack of equity immediately in the district because if i block it in school and students go home some students now have access they have support at home they have the means at home to leverage these ai tools to be more creative more productive for a student to take their writing assignment that they've created and i'll go back to this perspective of the english class in the english class the student is locked into their google document they're writing their Google document. The educator can see that happening in real time. Maybe the English department is even using a tool like DraftPack, DraftBack, a Google Chrome extension that gives you more granular control, um, excuse me, more granular insight into the progression of student writing in a digital Google document over time. You can play it back like a fill. You can see a heat map of where and when they worked on the document, and that's all happening in class. And then the student, who now has chat GPT or any of these AI tools blocked in school can go home, take the text that they generated, that they wrote, drop it into the AI tool and ask it to write it with a lighter tone, ask it to write it with a little more intensity, ask it to write it, you know, so they can ask the AI tool to help them manipulate and see how their writing can look different. I don't even understand how this is different than a student going home and having access uh, financially to a private tutor that's going to help them work on this outside of class. So instantly we're creating this, uh, this equity issue. We're creating this divide and we're separating out the students that have means, access, support, and understanding to engage with these tools at home. And we're simply blocking it. So we're exacerbating the kind of the difference between students that have access and students that don't. So that to me, it's this access and equity issue is fundamentally why we cannot block it at a school level, at a district level. I know that entire districts, I know it came out pretty quickly that the New York uh, Department of Ed blocked chat GP GPT across the board. I understand the reaction to do that, but I think big picture, we're creating tremendous equity issues and a significant divide. And even just at a practical, at a mechanic level, a mechanics level, if we block one tool, the next tool is going to emerge 
So all we have is, you know, students are wise enough to search and look around and find other tools that we might not block. And sure, we can create more advanced filters and we can have kind of AI to block the AI. Like, I understand all of that. But instead of kind of engaging in an arms race to block, why might we not engage in an education race to teach students how to leverage these tools because they're not going anywhere? I know this is uh, maybe my longest episode to date, and I know I've been sitting on uh, creating episode three because I've been really waiting to be able to share this one with all of you. I hope that from one of the four lenses that I shared, this is maybe giving you new insight or new understanding on how to think about what AI and education might look like. Uh, I'm really happy. I want to engage in the conversation. So if you're looking to do this sort of thing at scale with your school, I kind of already engaging with AI and education jumpstart session, 90 minute webinar sessions where we look at the tools, demonstrate the experience and really engage on these conversations at a school level. If we're looking to go hands-on, um, doing hands-on workshops where educators can get experience and really dig in to use the tools. And even then more importantly, engage in a really kind of critical process of redesigning student experience and student assessment uh, to think about how we might not block, but embrace and understand how to leverage AI from an educator and from a student perspective. So thank you so much for listening to this episode of Education Considered. I look forward to connecting with you on social and looking forward to creating the next episode and sharing more ideas in the near future. Thank you.